Well, good morning, church. Good to see all of you, and especially great to have Tosh and Don with us this morning. Uh, why don't y'all just stand up, if you would, for a moment, so we can kind of welcome you guys. Um, it's been a while since we've all seen Tosh and Don. For those who've just joined our body in the last uh, year or so or two, um, Tosh and Don have been serving in Thailand for many years. Tosh is actually from Thailand, and Don pretty much is too. She grew up as a missionary kid in Thailand, and they have a wonderful radio ministry. Um, and uh, we'll, we'll have a chance to hear more from them next Sunday night. So uh, Pastor Bill talked about Rocky Family Night and, and what to bring uh, in terms of food and all that kind of thing. But we're going to get the chance to hear from Tosh and Don a, a report of their ministry in Thailand next Sunday night at 6 in the Fellowship Hall. Uh, Tosh is also going to be sharing with the, with the guys, the men, on Saturday morning at 8 uh, during our prayer breakfast. So hope you men will make a point to come out and, and join. But we thank you for your faithful ministry, and uh, no, we're, we keep you in our prayers, and we're excited to have you all with us this morning. Well, as uh, Pastor Josh just read to us, um, we are going to be covering the last six verses of John chapter 3. We've spent some time in John chapter 3, and you may remember last week you had John the Baptist telling his disciples why they should follow Jesus. Uh, he was saying, uh, I, he must increase, I must decrease, so follow him. And uh, what you may notice if you are reading the ESV, um, that at the very end of verse 3, you had a close of quotes, and the beginning of verse 31, you don't see uh, quotes, right? So the ESV and the NIV don't have quotes around verse 31 through 36. You might say, well, why does that matter? Well, what, what matters here is uh, who's the speaker, right? Because if you're, if you're reading from the King James or the New King James or the New American Standard Version, you'll notice that you do have quotes around verses 31 all the way down through verse 36. And, and the reason that you see quotes there is the translators decided or interpreted that these are indeed John the Baptist's words. After he told his disciples, um, uh, he must increase and I must decrease, the continuation of these six verses was John the Baptist explaining um, why Jesus is above all, okay? Um, whereas the translators of the ESV and NIV think that probably these words didn't belong to John the Baptist, but actually is the Apostle John who wrote this epistle, this is his summary of chapters one through three, okay? Well, why, why, why do you have different people uh, not sure of who the speaker is? Well, the reason is, is in, the, in the original language, in Greek, you actually don't have um, punctuation. In fact, all the letters are all kind of jammed together. Uh, so when you're reading the original autographs, well, we don't actually have the original autographs, but when you're reading uh, old uh, copies of, of the New Testament, right, from thousands and thousands of manuscripts going back to just a couple hundred years after uh, the original autographs were written. As we're reading all that, um, they didn't actually have punctuation in the Koine Greek, all right? Now, thankfully, they had vowels because in the Old Testament Hebrew, they didn't have vowels, so we've had to figure that out, okay? Uh, but in the Greek, all the words were kind of mashed together, and so it's through context that you have to figure out, okay, where's the right period? Or maybe it should be an exclamation point, or maybe it should be a question mark. And most of the time that's pretty clear. Uh, sometimes it's not. 
And so I think you could make a case either way on, on this one. But I, I would say this, um, notice how similar these verses that Joshua just read, and I'm going to read again for you, sound to some of the things that John wrote in chapter 1, and then, and then later in chapter 3. So my, if, I, if I had to you know, put money on it, my bet would be that what we have here is the Apostle John summarizing the, the, the first three chapters here as a transition. And, and, and really kind of putting an emphasis on the things that Jesus told Nicodemus and putting an emphasis on John's testimony to Jesus being greater than him. And even an emphasis on what he said at the very beginning about people receiving or rejecting the Messiah. So let's, let's listen again and just think again as you hear these words that I think came from the Apostle John, but I could be wrong. It could be that this was John the Baptist's words, all right? He who comes from above is above all. Man, I, what, a, what a summary statement right there. He who is of the earth belongs to the earth and speaks in an earthly way. He who comes from heaven is above all. He bears witness to what he has seen and heard, yet no one receives his testimony. Whoever receives his testimony sets his seal to this, that God is true. For he whom God has sent utters the words of God, for he gives the Spirit without measure. The Father loves the Son and has given all things into his hand. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. Now, now the main point from this text that I just read, which is the first point of our sermon it's frankly the title of our sermon, it's that Christ is above all. Christ is above all. That's what John says here in verse 31. He who comes from above, that is heaven, is above all. So think about the most amazing place in creation that you've ever seen. Maybe your mind goes to several places, but maybe it jumps back to one experience. Um, the Lord has given me the opportunity to see a lot of his earth, not all. I, I've, got a few, I've got a number of places I would love to get to that I haven't yet. But, but I can remember the Grand Canyon, uh, going there as a kid and then with my wife um, just a couple years ago. And I remember she just started tearing up when she saw the grandeur of, of the beauty of the Grand Canyon. Uh, I think of the Napoli Coast along the, the north shore of Kauai in Hawaii, just these these vertiginous sea cliffs, several thousand feet tall. Remember having a chance to backpack with my wife, um, the Napoli or the Kalau Trail that goes all the way down to Kalau Beach. It's like a 12 mile, 14 mile trail, right along the edge of these, on the edge of these sea cliffs. And sometimes you're looking down 2,000 feet into, to, the, to the sea, and there are these waterfalls that just drop off. It, it's, it's just truly one of the most amazing places. But then I think of Victoria Falls. Uh, some of you have been there. Look, looking at just this, this just chasm of the earth that opens up and the smoke that thunders, or the barrier reef of Belize, just diving among the, just this incredible visibility and, the, and the, the, the wall there. So you can look straight down hundreds of feet uh, and you see these, these huge shark and marlin swimming along the, the, the wall there. Um, and then I think of the Masai Mara, Kenya, just maybe the greatest grasslands on earth, roamed by just thousands of 
buffalo and wildebeest and zebra and the, the great migration from the Serengeti up to the, up to the Maasai Mara. I remember visiting there years ago with, with my wife and, 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 and sitting there having breakfast by the Mara River, uh, right where all the crocs will try to take down the zebras and the wildebeest as they cross. Um, and, and it was right after the migration had happened and they were still very hungry, or not very hungry, very full crocs looking at you like, my stomach hurts. And they were literally dead zebra laying around. Um, sorry, that, that was a tangent. Um, but the, the, the amazing thing about just the, the, these thousands of, 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 of animals just migrating across the, the plain was incredible. Some of you have been to Switzerland. And, and I, I remember taking my daughter Grace when she was little to the Lauterbrunnen Valley. Um, just just one of the, probably the most spectacular place, maybe the most beautiful place I've ever been. It looks a lot like Yosemite, okay? Um, except it's, it, you know, you have the, 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 huge, um, the huge cliffs and waterfalls, and yet it's just green. And there's the, the, the valley floor is full of flowers, and there's a glacier at one end. It's just spectacular. When we got there, Grace, who was probably six or seven, looked at me and said, Dad, is this as pretty as Texas? And my answer, of course, was, nowhere is as pretty as Texas, Grace, not even Texas. She was like, okay, Dad. But, but what, what do you do? Maybe you've been to one of these places or somewhere else, and, and, and you can remember just thinking, this is amazing. And what do you do when you encounter that beauty? You just go, wow. Probably you pull out your phone and take a picture or a video, maybe a, one of these dumb selfies, right? Uh, why? So that you can record the moment, so you can share with other people this amazing place that you've seen. And, and you got to talk about it, right? Well, here's the point I want to make in, in kind of bringing your mind through these, these places and these things. Jesus is more amazing. Whatever you saw or experienced, he, he made it. He, he designed it. He, he thought of it before it existed. And he spoke it into being. Colossians chapter 1 verse 16 says that for by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. The physical things, the spiritual things, know that, that Jesus is enjoying the Lauterbrunnen Valley. And every molecule of water that drops off the countless waterfalls down to the, down to the floor of that. And every fish in the sea, it was made through him and for him. And he is before all things and in him all things hold together. And I love this passage. You've probably, if you've been around for a while, you've heard me ruminate about this passage. Um, the baby Jesus, right? Um, looking at his hand, thinking this is the mystery, okay, of the Bible, but thinking as any other baby would, what an amazing thing. Look at this. At the same time, somehow, according to this passage, he is holding together the atomic structure of the universe. It says, in him all things hold together, physical, spiritual, all things. So Jesus came from above and is above all. And so John continues, he who is of the earth belongs to the earth and speaks in an earthly way. Now, I, I believe what 
he's referring to here is actually John the Baptist. So whether it's John the Baptist speaking of himself or John, since this verse comes right after John's testimony, is reflecting on John the Baptist um, and he's contrasting John the Baptist with Jesus. Now, John the Baptist was great. Jesus himself said so. Uh, he was, we could call him the greatest Old Testament prophet ever. Even though he lived in the new, this, this bridge, into, he's recorded in the new, he's really this Old Testament kind of character, right? Uh, he was the greatest, but even he came from the earth. In other words, he was conceived by an earthly human father and an, and an earthly human mother. In contrast, he who comes from heaven is above all. Well, that's Jesus who came from heaven, the God-man. His mother was human. So he was truly born in an earthly way. He had a natural human birth, but his father was God the Father. This was an immaculate conception by the power of the Holy Spirit. And so Jesus Christ is truly the God-man. He is above all. And there's a, there's a song that came out a, a couple decades ago called Above All. And, it, and its words go like this, above all powers, above all kings, above all nature and all created things, above all wisdom and all the ways of man, you were here before the world began. Above all kingdoms, above all thrones, above all wonders the world has ever known. Above all wealth and treasures of the earth, there's no way to measure what you're worth. Brothers and sisters, Christ is above all. You know, there, there's, there's been more and more talk, and sorry this isn't on my no, in my notes, so um, you know, tangent warning here, I'll try not to go off too, too, too far off, off topic here, but, but recently there's been a lot of talk in the news about UFOs, right? And it used to be that only crazy people talked about UFOs, and now we're hearing about them on Fox News, and everyone's trying to figure out what's going on. Is this just a bunch of really fast Chinese weather balloons? Or what's going on here, you know? Um, Navy pilots are talking about these things that can outperform their aircraft. What is going on? Well, here's, here's, here's my take on it. Uh, Jesus knows exactly what's going on, what's out there, what's not out there, all right? And, and if tomorrow morning we had incontrovertible proof that UFOs, meaning alien life, because all UFO means is unidentified flying object, right? Could be refraction of light, could be Chinese weather balloon or something else, who knows? We don't know. If there was incontrovertible proof that life existed out there and visited our planet and were here, and we had, you know, all the TV cameras were on it, um, uh, the, 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 you know, news, it was, it, there, was no, there was no question, right? Uh, you know what? Within a couple years, we would all get used to that fact, if we were still around. We would all get used to that fact. It would no longer be shocking. But you know what? Um, what we have here in the Bible, uh, all this, is far more interesting. The only reason it doesn't seem more interesting to us than the idea of alien life is we're, we're sadly too used to this but this stuff is way more interesting. Um, if there is such a thing as uh, life that God has created somewhere else, uh, you know what? God is far more powerful. He's sovereign over that. And his story, what he's revealed to us, is far more interesting. In other words, Jesus is above even that by a long shot. 
Christ is above all. So here's a question. And nobody's sleeping all of a sudden, right? I'm, I'm going to get some emails this week now. Now, what do you mean? What do you mean? I, I said if. I have no idea, all right? Here's what I would say, though. Um, and here's the question for you. Is he, is Jesus, above all in your life? Has he been above all in your life? Is he above all in your life right now? Pastor Matt Carter asks this question, quote, has your life ever felt out of sync? You get up in the morning and feel unmotivated. You get home and you're too tired to think. In spite of the energy you're putting out, you're just not going anywhere. Your relationships are stalled and a type of blasé monotony has crept into your soul. We often feel that way when we're out of sync with Jesus. All of creation exists to serve Jesus Christ. Every atom in the universe was created to fulfill his purpose. Whenever our lives don't line up under Jesus, we're out of sync with this world. Jesus is supreme over all things, including your life. When you follow him, then you're in gear with God's world. End quote. Well, all of this is true because Christ is above all. Only he will satisfy the, the desires and the needs of your heart. But we also see in this text that Christ's testimony is true. And that's the second point this morning. Christ's testimony is, is true. Look at verse 32. We read, he bears witness to what he has seen and heard. In other words, Jesus speaks with the authority of firsthand observation, not just theory. Okay, Jesus revealed to us some of what had been revealed to him by God the Father. He bears witness to what he has seen and heard, yet no one receives his testimony. Now, now we know by the very next line here that John is, is speaking metaphorically, meaning that compared with the masses, there are few who receive Jesus' testimony. Whoever, he writes, receives his testimony, sets his seal to this, that God is true. For he whom God has sent utters the words of God, for he gives the Spirit without measure. He gives the Spirit without measure. Now, St. Augustine believed that this refers to the Father's gift of the Spirit to Christ. He, he gives his spirit, God the Father gives the Holy Spirit to Jesus during his life on this planet as the God-man, his spirit without measure. Well, what does this mean? Well, the Old Testament prophets were able to powerfully speak God's word through the gift of the Holy Spirit, which was given to them in just enough measure for their specific task. Okay, so in the Old Testament, you see this concept of the Holy Spirit coming upon people. You think about Samson, for instance. Holy Spirit come upon him. He'd get all of a sudden super strong and pick up the jaw, jawbone of, a, of, a, of, a, of an ox and would go, you know, club a couple hundred Philistines to death, right? The, the Holy Spirit, and then, but then you'd see Samson later doing some, you know, knuckleheadedry uh, without the Holy Spirit's work on him, right, or help. So you see this in the Old Testament, in the Old Covenant, kind of this coming and going of the Holy Spirit with measure, and later 
Jesus Christ gave the Holy Spirit to actually come and live in his people, who sometimes, through knuckleheadedry, quench the Spirit, right? Uh, and so we have to be daily filled with the Spirit, but if we are truly His, we've been given, we've been baptized with the Holy Spirit. So He is now in us, right? But now at this point, at this point in the narrative here, we're still looking and comparing and contrasting Jesus Christ with John the Baptist and Old Testament prophets. And so here we see that God gave Christ His Spirit without measure. And so Jesus lived as a human dependent on the Holy Spirit for his miracles and for the things, the amazing things that he did. As an example to us that we too are to yield and, and, and lean completely on the Holy Spirit, which we, none of us do perfectly, but Jesus was given that because of his, um, uh, the lack of sin in his life and his obedience to his Father, he was given the Spirit without measure. Now let's think about Jesus' testimony here right? His testimony is true. There's a lot here about obeying or, or listening to, receiving his testimony. Well, Jesus was the fountain of knowledge. Imagine if you could get in a time machine and you could go back and, and be with Jesus for 10 minutes and actually have, you know, his undivided attention, all right? Uh, a 10-minute conversation with Jesus where you know, he wasn't being distracted, and he was, you know, it was a one-on-one -on -one conversation. What kind of questions would you have for him? He, he's the fountain of knowledge. What would you want to know about Jesus, from Jesus? Well, some of you, we, we could shout him out here, but some of you might have some questions about creation and science, right? We've got a bunch of kind of, you know, mathematic-type engineers among us. Uh, we've got a lot of teachers among us. Uh, you might wonder, is there life out there? Is there life in other galaxies? Uh, how big exactly is the universe? Um, does, does the universe have multiple dimensions? Is it a universe or is it a multiverse? Some of you science fiction comic book readers, I guess you can watch Marvel movies now and they have endless, you know, plot, lazy plot ideas now because, you know, you can have var variants in all these, you know, parallel universes, right? Well, maybe you want to know. Certainly our universe or what we live in isn't, multi isn't solo dimensional, single dimensional, right? I mean, there's angels and demons and beings you can't see who can travel interstellarly, right? And, and, and can somehow come into our existence and then leave and go into a different existence. So, Explain this to me, maybe, you would ask, right? Um, maybe you're different, that stuff bores you. Maybe you have some questions about philosophy for him. Maybe you would say, could you help me understand the intersection between predestination and human will? How does that work? God has ordained all things, and yet we make decisions. How does that work, Jesus? And he would probably sigh or... Um, you know, of course, he can do anything. Uh, how are you going to explain this one to a, mo a mortal in 10 minutes? Um, he can do anything. He might have given you a far-out story, and, and, and you're like, thanks a lot. Um, do all babies who die go to heaven? Some of you have been troubled by that question. You might want to know, 
Is my dog there? Some of you may really wonder about that. We know Jesus' followers were quite consumed with questions. But, but most of their questions that we see recorded pertain to their social and cultural situation. So they were wondering, are you the Messiah? And what they meant by that was a little bit different than what we think of when we use the term Messiah. They were wondering, and they asked him a lot, when will you overthrow these oppressive Romans and set up your kingdom? That's what was on their mind. They were in occupied territory, right? They, they couldn't wait for the, the grand rebellion and, and for the power. And will we get to reign with you? Some of them even asked, uh, who's going to be first? Like, we're going to reign, but who gets to be at your right hand, right? How about me and my brother? Well, Jesus didn't tell them or us through their written words everything they wanted to know. He hasn't told us everything we want to know. But he told them and us through their written words everything they and we needed to know. And one of the things that Jesus talked a lot about was himself. He revealed his true identity to his disciples. So this last week, I, I, I just got to thinking, uh, what if I was going to speed read through the book of John, uh, what would I find Jesus talking about when it came to himself, right? So I, I did that. I, I sped read through the book of John, and, and John indeed did record many words of Jesus about himself in his gospel. And so these are just a few of them that we're going to read through. You can find these, by the way, on, in your, on your listening guide. Um, I underlined a bunch of stuff, and then I had to go through and decide, okay, what do I, you know, I can only fit so much on one piece of paper in 11-point font. Um, so I had to, you know, delete. They're, they're all good, obviously, all the words of Christ, right? But what did Jesus actually say about himself? I, I think this might be helpful for you to meditate on this week when you think about Christ being above all, and when you think about the testimony of Jesus, right? So before we read through these together, I want to ask you to do something here. I want to ask you to imagine that instead of me standing here, imagine it's Jesus standing in front of you, right? Maybe he's wearing a pair of jeans. Um, maybe he's got a blazer. He's probably got a pair of sandals on. Probably dressed more like Mike Wilde than like me. But um, let's just say he's standing up here and he's saying these things to you about himself. Would you believe him? John 6, 40. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. Can you imagine a human being, a man saying that? John 6, 48. I am the bread of life. If I, talk, if I talk this way, even for like a minute, the elders would be coming at me, and y'all would run me out of here with a pitchfork. Jesus said, I am the bread of life. And then in, in verse 51, he explains a little more. He says, I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. Then he, then he makes it only more hard to digest. 
by saying, and the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. So just imagine hearing that for the first time from a person you can see. John 7, verse 37 through 38. On the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. John 8, 12. Again, Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. John chapter 8, verse 31 to 32. So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in him, if you abide in my word, you truly are my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. In John chapter 8, verse 58, Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. John chapter 10, verse 11. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life. Do you hear that? A human being telling people, I give them, I give them eternal life, and they will never perish, perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father, who has given them to me, is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. I and the Father are one. All right, so you're a monotheistic Jew, and you hear a rabbi telling you that. How do you react to that? John eleven twenty five. 25, Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. John 14, 6, Jesus said to him, I am the way. My mind goes to the Mandalorian for some reason. I am the way. I've got a son. All right. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. That's a, quite the statement. In John 15, 5, he says, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. All right, that's, that's some strong statements. I look forward to going through these statements and, and, and uh, unpacking them with you over the next number of months. But let me ask you another question. Have you ever known somebody who thought they were a big deal? Some of you are thinking, some of you right away an image popped into your head, right? Uh, well, history is full of narcissists, okay? I mean, Alexander the Great, Genghis Khan, Napoleon Bonaparte, Henry VIII, you know, that guy, divorced, beheaded, died, divorced, beheaded, survived. That was his wife's stories, right? I mean, what a, what a terrible husband. Kim Jong-un, somebody still alive today. Kanye West, Kim Kardashian, the list goes on. I put those together in one category. Um, they've all claimed to be a big deal. 
They really wanted people to think that they were a big deal. So here's my point. Jesus said that he was a big deal in unmistakable fashion. Unmistakable fashion. Like, I, I don't know that anyone else has said, as it, if you look at all the words Jesus said, the way that he said them, I don't know that anyone else has claimed to be as big a deal as Jesus did. So either, you, you really only have three choices here, and I didn't come up with this, C.S. Lewis did, right? Or probably someone before him. But either Jesus was the biggest liar this side of Texas, or he was completely nuts to believe all this stuff about himself, or his testimony was true, and he is the God-man, he's the King of kings and Lord of lords, and he really is above all. And that's what I believe. I believe that his testimony about himself is true. Do you? Do you believe that? Well, verse 33 says, whoever receives his testimony sets his seal to this, that God is true, right? Whoever receives his testimony sets his seal to this, that God is true. Well, what, is, what does this mean? One of the um, interesting things about living in a really old city, which we don't really have old, really old cities in America, okay? I had the chance in Afghanistan to live in a really old city. And what I mean by that is, is the city I lived in uh, is one of the world's oldest con continually inhabited cities. So there are, there are some cities that were older, like Nineveh, which were then lost to the sands of time. But Herat is around, they think, 3,500 to 4,000 years old, and it's a, continu con it's, it's a continuously inhabited city, all right? There's always been people living there. And so what's interesting about that is that when, um, when a neighbor or somebody goes to like dig a well or something like that, sometimes they find interesting things. And, uh, and, and I had a buddy who um, had a little shop where people would actually bring interesting things they found and he'd, you know, he'd pay them something and then, and then, and then sell them to people like me um, for a lot more. Um, and, and so, and of course, he had some fake stuff as well. But a couple of things that he passed on to me were these seals. And I'm pretty sure this one's uh, original. I'm not as confident about this one. But these are two old, likely Persian seals, right? So our city at one point belonged to the Persians. Alexander the Great had spent th time there. So, you know, there are old Greek coins that people would find. But these are two old seals. And this is kind of what we tend to think of as a seal. There's an emblem of kind of a, like an ox that's been carved into a piece of stone. And so if I was sending uh, an important document to somebody... Uh, back, say, in this time, and, you know, it, it, it would be on some kind of papyrus-type paper, right? And I'd take some wax, and I would put my seal on that papyrus. And after they had rolled it up, I'd put my seal on it there. And so the, the recipient, oh, by the way, this is called a cylinder seal. So this is similar. They'd rub some kind of oil or, or maybe wax or maybe like uh, blood would work too, um, if you're in a pinch. But, but so, you know, you put like a stick through it or even some a string and, and just kind of roll it across, right? And so the, the, the people, everybody has their own, right? Everyone who, 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 who um, you know, people want to listen to uh, has their own seal. And so when you get that document, you know this is authentic. Like the person, who, this, is, this, is, this is really from uh, the, the, the sender. 
and, and they, have, they have set their seal on this document, right? They, they are all in. They are saying, I authenticate this. This represents me, all right? Well, in maybe more modern history, um, you might be able to think about like the signers of the Declaration of Independence. Their signature of the document was their seal. They signed that, and they signed it with conviction. They were all in when they signed the Declaration of Independence. It meant that they believed this document. They, they stood for it publicly. And if things went south with the, the um, Revolutionary War, they would be executed for it. So they were all in, right? So how might you set your seal that Jesus' testimony about himself is true? That you really believe he is who he said he was? That, that he is the way, the truth, and the life? How do you do that in a tangible way? Well, I, I could think of a lot of things. You know, maybe you have a bumper sticker on your car. That's not just about some politician, but it's, it's like, I, I follow Jesus, like he's Lord, right? Um, maybe you, you have a cross around your neck. And the whole point is to try to engage in conversation or for people to realize, okay, that's, that's a Christian right there. You know, maybe, maybe you keep a Bible on your desk at work. And there it is. And sometimes people even see you reading it. But there it is. That is your seal. There's no mistake. Everybody who works with you knows that you're a Christian. You, you believe that Christ is above all and that his testimony is true. Well, finally, our third point is Christ's authority is absolute. Verse 35 says, the Father loves the Son and has given all things into his hand. And, and, and the word for love here is that Greek word agape, right? The most powerful love. The Father loves the Son. Now be sure that God does love the world. God loves his creation and his creatures, but God deeply loves his Son, Jesus, God the Father. And, and, and Jesus, in fact, is in a whole nother category when it comes to the Father's love. And that shouldn't threaten us. In fact, that's good for us because God's love, the Father's love, pours out to us through Christ. First John 3, 1 says, see what kind of love the Father has given to us that we should be called children of God. And so we are. Well, God the Father loves his Son deeply, powerfully, and he has given his Son Christ absolute authority. That's what we, that's what we see here in verse 35. He's given him all things into his hand. And that's what Jesus said after he rose from the dead in Matthew 28, 18. He told his disciples, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Now, I've had the opportunity of not being um, in a Baptist church all my life. Um, I'm, I, I am a Baptist pastor by conviction, but the truth is, in my mind, that that word Baptist is really, really small. I much prefer the word Christian, right? I, I love, I think it was John Bunyan's, go off on another tangent for a moment. I love John Bunyan's quote to his contemporary Kiffith, right? Uh, uh, Kiffith 
was, was a, you know, kind of a, a capital B Baptist kind of guy, um, insisting that, that, that Bunyan was wrong for serving communion to other Christians who had not been baptized by immersion, right? And so when Bunyan uh, fought against that and said, hey, these, these people who are coming out of the Church of England who love Jesus, they're brothers and sisters too, they're taking communion with me with, with my, in my church, right? Uh, Kiffith replied by saying, you're not a real Baptist. And you know what John Bunyan said? He said, I, you know, the word Baptist, as far as I'm concerned, is from, from hell. And any other word that would divide Christ's church, any other word that's smaller than the, than the word Christ, I like that, all right? Uh, I'm not saying we should go scrub the name. There's a lot of great things that the Baptists do. Um, we really care about the gospel. We really care about reaching the nations. I'm all about the cooperative spirit, but man, let's make sure Christ is first and great, right? But I've had the chance to, to live within and observe some other Christians from other denominational backgrounds. One thing that I've noticed is that the Presbyterians really focus on and elevate God the Father, right? I've actually noticed that different denominations tend to put different emphases on different persons of the Trinity. So if you spend a lot of time in a, in a Reformed uh, Presbyterian church, you're going to really hear a lot about God the Father. Now, I haven't spent as much time, but I've had the chance to visit uh, some Pentecostal churches, um, charismatic churches, all right? Which person of the Godhead do you think you hear a whole lot about? The Holy Spirit. That's right. In fact, sometimes we Baptists aren't quite sure what to do with the Holy Spirit. And the truth is we're supposed to be filled with the Holy Spirit. So we, we, we should listen to our, and we should think a lot about God the Father as well, and, and make sure that we're not um, uh, uh, ignoring other members of the Trinity. But Baptists tend to focus on Jesus Christ, God the Son. Well, here's what verse 35 means. It means that God the Father is not jealous when Jesus Christ, His Son, is worshiped and lifted up, because the Father loves the Son, and has given all things into His hand. So when we are Christ-focused, not saying we should um, forget the role or the, the worship that is due to God the Father, or, or the dependence that is due to God the Spirit, but in fact, when we worship Christ, God the Father rejoices. And, and Philippians chapter 2 verse 9 says as much. We read, therefore, God has highly exalted Him, and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth, and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. So it's, there's no wrestling match here. There's no competition. God the Father has given his Son absolute authority. Do you believe this? Well, if you do, it means then that you believe some of the things that Jesus said that were kind of far out when it comes to our cultural values. And, and, I, and I just want to take a moment for us to think about that, right? Think about the cultural value we have about the pursuit of happiness. The pursuit of happiness. I mean, I think that's in one of our founding documents, right? Here's what Jesus said. John 12 25 through 26, whoever loves his life loses it, and whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. If anyone serves me, he must follow me, 
And where I am, there my servant will be also. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. Well, what about the cultural value of climbing the leadership ladder? Right? Leadership. Power. How many people in our culture are obsessed with power? Jesus said in John 13, verse 13, You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. What, does that really work, servant leadership? Does it really work? Think about our, our cultural value on fitting in, right? The idea that, look, you just need to get along with everybody. Don't rock the boat. Do you think Jesus agreed with that? John 15, 19 through 20. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world... Therefore, the world hates you. And he's talking to his disciples, right? I mean, how many of you are disciples of Jesus? Raise your hand. If you're a disciple of Jesus. Okay, so he's talking to you. Let me start over then. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. So what and who are our prime authority? Is it Christ or culture? Well, the, the first thing that hit me here in, 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 this, in, in, in the inclusion, it's time for me to land the plane. Um, you know, they tell, Seminary 101, you know, um, sermons that you get letters for. You know, I've probably already stepped in a little bit this morning. Um, might get some emails. But here's what I want you to remember as we land the plane. God has given his son absolute authority over our eternal life and, or our eternal death. And so your response to his authority will determine your eternal future. Did you catch that? Your eternal future. And that's what verse 36 says. Whoever believes in the son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the son shall not see life but the wrath of God remains on him. One pastor wrote about this connection that you probably noticed between belief and obedience. An essential element of believing Jesus is accepting his word and obeying him. You can't divorce obedience from belief. To believe, you must obey what Jesus has commanded. What we believe and how we live are intertwined. Life, like strands woven together to make a rope, belief and obedience are woven together in salvation. In other words, the faith that saves is a faith that obeys. Did you catch that? It doesn't mean Jesus is saying you're, you're saved by trusting in him and getting, your, you know, getting yourself right. That's not what he's saying. It, we're, we're sinful wretches before a holy God. I mean, that was, that was Isaiah's experience, uh, who was a great prophet. But when he encountered a very visceral vision of God, the first thing he cried out wasn't, this is so cool. No, it was, it was 
woe is me. I'm undone. I'm a man of unclean lips. Right? I, I, I dwell among a people of unclean lips. So before a holy God, we are undone. There's nothing that any of us can contribute to our salvation. It's through Christ and his death on the cross alone and through faith alone. But true faith that's real is never alone. It's followed by obedience. And that's what the word of God says here. It says, whoever believes in the son has eternal life, but whoever does not obey the son shall not see life. But the wrath of God remains on him. And I don't know what you think of when you, when you hear the, those words, the wrath of God. It's, it's not exactly uh, politically correct in our culture today to talk about an angry God. It's okay to talk about a loving God who accepts everybody. Uh, it's not okay to talk about the wrath of God. So what, what does that mean? Well, I've got a couple quotes from several different scholars. One is, the wrath of God is the settled displeasure of God against sin. The divine allergy to moral evil. The reaction of righteousness to unrighteousness. The awesome and fearful justice of God on our sin. The the reason that the Bible talks so explicitly about the wrath of God is that the author of the Bible wants you to repent, believe, and live. He does not desire you to experience the wrath of God. So at the end of the day, there are two choices. Believe in the Son and follow Him towards eternal life or reject the Son's authority over you, remain under God's righteous wrath and experience eternal death. And so I would like to invite you to follow with me Jesus, as your Savior and as your Lord. And I recognize there's many of you in this room who've already given your heart to Jesus, and I I praise God for that. And I I pray that you will, um, uh, again this morning, as we we go to a time of communion, I I hope that you will rededicate your your, your life to Him. Because you know what? We we really got to do that every day. But communion is a time for us to commune with Him, but to first confess our, our, our sins to Him. Sins... Uh, of omission, sins of commission, knowing that we're under the blood of Christ. We're not getting saved all over again, but what we're doing is we're, 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 we're renewing that relationship through repentance, which should be a daily part of life, at least for me. I'm sure it needs to be part of your, your daily routine as well. Repentance and then just looking to Christ. That's what we do when we commune with Christ. So in a moment, I'm going to pray, and, and um, I'm, when I do pray, I'm going to ask our deacons to come up. They're going to be serving us communion. Um, Let me just ask, if you're in this room and you're not sure that you have a true relationship with God through faith, let me encourage you, during this time, do not participate in communion. Or let me just say, even if you're a Christian, but but you know that you're in a place of unrepentant sin, in order to get right, you need to go confess that to somebody else, all right? Then pass on communion. Go get right, confess, and come back next month. We're going to have communion again and join us. Does that make sense? Um, But spend this time, if you don't know the Lord, let me encourage you to spend this time um, uh, calling out to him in faith, asking him to save your soul. The Bible says that 
if we confess that Jesus is Lord and believe in our hearts that God raised him from the dead, we will be saved. And it says a couple verses down, for all who call on the name of the Lord will be saved. So any human being, um, even if their understanding isn't, isn't great, maybe they just know a little, but may, maybe you're sitting here and, and, and maybe, maybe, maybe you realize, man, there's a lot I've, I've got to learn here. Um, man, maybe I need to learn a little more first. The answer to that is no. I'll, I'll tell you the truth, right? Um, God made you. You have sinned against God. God loved you enough to send his son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross for your sin and, and rise from the dead. And you can be and must be saved today through faith in him. That's the gospel message. If you believe that, call out to him right now in faith and he will save you. So we're going we're gonna, to uh, uh, spend some time in prayer and then move into a time of reflection uh, as we listen to a song and a time of communion together. Uh, during the, the song and, and after the service, my brother, um, Dr. Joshua and his wife, Joshua was the guy who, who, who led us in the pastoral prayer earlier, they're going to be standing up towards the front. Um, even during this time right now, they'll be up here on the front pew, if you guys don't mind migrating in a minute. Um, if you want to talk more with somebody, if you don't know the Lord, and, and you'd like someone to kind of help lead you through what it, what it really means to believe, they're here for you. Um, and they're going to be sticking around after the service. We're going to try to have a, an elder here every week after the service, such that if you have a prayer need in your life, they're here to pray, pray for you. So, so if you have that, don't let inhibition keep you back. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus Christ, you are above all. Your testimony about yourself is true. Your authority is absolute. You are worthy of being followed. So Lord, help us follow after you. Thank you for dying on the cross for our sins and for rising from the dead. We thank you that you are today at your Father's right hand, even making intercession, praying for us, for all of your people. And Lord, we, we pray that, that as we enter into this time of communion, that you would convict us, your spirit would convict us of any sin that we need to confess. Lord, that we would think back and remember the great sacrifice you made for us at the cross. And we thank you, Heavenly Father, for your great love. And we pray all this in, in the great name of Jesus, our, our Lord and our Savior and our hero. Amen.